Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Call our attention one more time to the book of John chapter number 17. John chapter 17. Once again, this is our, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is our eighth message in this series, and we're going to be looking again at verses one through verse number five, and there's a key thought that I want us to key in on this morning, and we're going to look at that here in just a moment. Let's read chapter number 17 and verse number one down through verse number five. The Lord said here in verse number one, these words spake Jesus and lift up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son may also may also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father... Glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the stirring of our heart over Scripture, over the songs that we've sang that so edified, magnified, and lifted you up. Lord, we ask you this morning that through this message, we may gain some wisdom from Scripture. I pray that you would illuminate your word. I pray that you would do from your word this morning in every heart what you would have to be done. And Lord, for that, we'll give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We've come to this point in the scripture where we want to key in on the phrase that Jesus Christ made in verse number one. When he made this statement, it said, These words spake Jesus and lift up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the first thing he says is, The hour is come. The hour is come. And that's what I want us to key in on this morning. In looking at and preparing and making preparations for this series of messages, I did not purposely have this message for this Sunday. But understanding what this Sunday is, we understand the significance of, Howbeit, it was not in my plans, it was in God's purpose. 
that we see what we see here this morning. This being considered Palm Sunday because it is the Sunday before Easter Sunday. Uh, We're here this morning and as I've said, it's known as Palm Sunday. It marks what is considered by many as the first day of the Holy Week. It is the last week of the solemn season called Lent. I, I thought as I began to look at all of this and I began to study it, I had heard a lot of things growing up. I'd heard people talk about Lent. I'd heard people talk about Ash Wednesday. I'd heard about Palm Sunday. I'd heard about Easter. But the only thing that I was ever taught or the only thing that I ever considered was Easter because it was just a special day around our family and it was a special day that we celebrated. But all the things leading up to that that those Jews celebrated and a lot of other religions celebrate or a lot of other denominations celebrate, I didn't understand all of that. But as I began to study this, Brother Charles, I went back and I looked and I found out some of these things that were taking place and some of their purposes, howbeit it tends to go into traditions, but yet it has a significance in where we're at this morning. And I want to consider those things as we consider this statement that is being made here in verse number one. The purpose of Lent... The purpose of Lent was for the preparation for of the believer in preparation for Easter. It was to prepare to get ready for Easter, if you will. Uh, this being done, and, and this is what people are taught, this is being done through prayer. It's being done through the mortifying of the flesh. It's being done through the repentance of sins. It's being done through almsgiving. It's being done through simple living. And it's being done through self-denial. Those are the principles of the six-week period of Lent that takes place. And understand that the things that I just mentioned to you is not just a six-week period in our life. Those things should be an everyday matter of fact in our life. Let me read those again. The things that they are looking at in preparation of being prepared for Easter is they're doing that through prayer, through mortifying the flesh, through the repentance of sin, through almsgiving, through simple living, and through self-denial. Those are good principles. Those are not something that we should take lightly. Those are things that we should look at, we should consider, and should be a part of our everyday lives so that we have a walk with Christ that is more beneficial to us. Not that it is going to give us a greater standing before God because nothing can change that because we stand before God in Christ. So nothing can change our standing before God, but we can have a greater understanding of our Lord And we can have a greater understanding of what he went through. And we can have a greater understanding of what Jesus Christ prayed in verse number 1 when he said, The hour is come. 
And we're going to look at that more in depth. Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter and it is a movable feast. That's the reason sometimes it's the end of March, sometimes it's the beginning of April, sometimes it's a little further in April. And I don't know who determines all of that, I just know that it's kind of a movable feast. It's something that doesn't have just a set date like you and I celebrate Christmas and we celebrate Christmas as December 25th and is that the day Christ was born? I don't think that's necessary. I don't think we have to have that. I think we, we look at what there is in Christmas and we celebrate what there is in that period of time and we do the same in Easter. But this one's more movable, if you will, as far as time goes. But it, it, the Palm Sunday, if you will, signifies the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Recall what happened in the triumphal entry. They laid down palm branches and the Lord rode in on the donkey or the, uh, uh, the, uh, the kid of the donkey rode in on it and it was the, considered the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason that I'm giving you all this is because this plays into what we're looking at when Jesus Christ is going to make the statement, the hour is come. These are the things that are leading up to that statement. It's leading up to that time. And you're going to see that as we get down through here. With that being said, the traditions that some have even now would be as follows. There's things that still go on even this way, even in the day and age that you and I are living in. Palm branches or branches of the native trees of the area that the people are living in are given to those believers. Those branches are in turn taken home and kept until six weeks before the next Easter where those palm branches are brought back, they're bundled together, they're burned, and that becomes Ash Wednesday. I didn't, under, I didn't know all of that. I, I didn't know all of that was, was as it is, but when I began to study, I began to look at it And even as we look at that, they bring those back. They would have Ash Wednesday. And that would be the beginning of their preparation for Easter. It would be as if they're commemorating the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're looking at all the things that are going to take place. And if they would look at it correctly and they would look at it as Scripture's talking about it, that would be great and it would be fine. I'm afraid that most that are doing that today look at it as tradition. It's just something that happens. It's just something that takes place. I think sometimes if we're not careful, even in our own lives, we come into church and I I find myself even sometimes coming here and understanding that this is what we do on Sunday. This is what we do on Sunday morning. This is what we do on Sunday night. This is what we do on Wednesday night. But I'm reminded even as I sat there this morning, I'm reminded as we sang and as we read the scriptures and as we sang the songs that we sang, as we sang those, it called my mind and called my memory and called my heart back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our purpose. And if what, if what people are doing as far as Lent and Ash Wednesday and 
and, uh, and Palm Sunday and all of these things, if it's being done to call their attention one more time to the Lord Jesus Christ, I say, praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. In hopes that it's not done in traditions. These six weeks were prior to Easter in the next year. Like I said, they bring those ashes back or bring those branches back. They would burn them. They would have Ash Wednesday. Even I found out this in, in studying and looking at this. I found out that the yesterday, if you were to consider what yesterday was, it was actually called Lazarus Saturday because of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And those things are intricate if you look at them the right way. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to go back and look, th look at things properly and look at things in the right way and see what the Lord has for us. With all of what I've given you this morning, with all of that in mind, I want us to turn back a few pages in the book of John and I want us to walk through some things that had taken place. I want us to turn back to John chapter number 9. John chapter number 9. The reason I want us to go back here is I want to call our attention to the thought that Jesus prayed when He prayed to the Father and He said, the hour is come. This hour has come because of the leading up to that hour. And we're going to look at, uh, hopefully in just a moment, I'll give you three things about that hour that are intricate and important that we understand. But with that in mind, I want us to consider John chapter 9 and verse number 1 down through verse number 12. This is the story that takes place, and you and I know about this. It's the healing of the blind man. And as Jesus passed by, He saw a man which was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, did this man, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he, might, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but the works of God should be manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Get that. Understand that. As long as I am here, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay and spittle of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam which is being interpreted sin. He went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. The neighbors therefore and they which, and they which before had seen him that was blind said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. He didn't want things to be mistaken. In verse number 10, Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes open? He answered and said, A man that, that is called Jesus made clay 
and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Shalom and wash. And I went and washed and received my sight. Then said they to him, Where is he? I get that. They're asking for a particular reason. And this is leading up to Jesus making the statement in John chapter number 17, The hour has come. He said, I know not. When this happened and this took place, the healing of the blind man caused the Pharisees, and you're going to see that, and we're not going to read down through that whole story, but it caused the Pharisees to begin to look for and question the healed blind man to find out where Jesus was. The problem was not that Jesus healed the blind man. The problem the Pharisees had was the day on which Jesus healed the blind man. You know the story. I know the story. It was the Sabbath. He was not supposed to be doing that on the Sabbath according to man's traditions, according to man's rule. He wasn't supposed to be doing what he was doing. But Jesus is leading up to something. Jesus is... He's come to the point and come to the time when he is revealing himself for who he truly is. He's been teaching. He's been preaching. He's been traveling the countryside. He's been going from town to town. He's been performing miracles. He's been doing several different things. Now it's come to the time when Jesus knows directly that things are having to be set in order that the hour has come. So Jesus goes down through here, and as we look at the rest of chapter number 9, then we come into chapter number 10, and I find this very interesting, especially in light of the fact that you and I just did a study previously in the book of Micah. Why? Because what's mentioned in chapter number 10 is that good shepherd. Is that not what Micah prophesied about in the book of Micah? That there was a shepherd coming who was going to gather his people together and he was going to rule the world. It is no doubt that those who were versed in Scripture understood when Jesus began to talk in chapter number 10 about being the good shepherd and talking about going in and out and talking about all of these things, they understood that he was talking about and referring to himself as that good shepherd that Micah prophesied about. You see how things are starting to fit in order, how things are starting to take place. And you and I know the rest of the story, so we can follow along. But understand that as we look at this, understand that Jesus is doing exactly what he needs to do in, in order that they recognize that he is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what he's revealing. That's what he's telling them. That's what he's leading up to. We come to chapter number 10, uh, verse number 1 through 21, and he tells us about being the good shepherd. But when he says he's the good shepherd, he is in essence telling them that he is God. And he gets 
called out, if you will, in chapter number 10, verse 22 through 42, he gets called out for blasphemy. They, they charge him with blasphemy. Then that leads us into John chapter number 11. And John chapter number 11 is interesting in, in, the, in the point that yesterday, as I've already told you, if people were still practicing things as it was first laid out, yesterday would have been Lazarus Saturday. And this is important. It's important for us to understand what Jesus is doing leading up to what is taking place. He'd come to chapter number 11 and Jesus receives word that his friend Lazarus is sick. He receives word that Lazarus is sick and he receives word that Lazarus is sick unto death. But what does he do? He tarries yet two days. He stays there though everyone knew and everyone referred to Lazarus whom Jesus loved. They knew that Jesus loved him, but yet Jesus remained where he was for two days. Why did he remain where he was for two days? Look in John chapter number 11 and verse number four, and you'll find the reason that Jesus remained there yet two days. He said, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but, for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. What did Jesus pray in verse number one? The hour is come, glorify thou me. Is that not what he prayed? He's leading up to this and you and I can look back in scriptures and we can understand where this is going. We understand that Jesus is about to do something in John chapter number 11. We find out that you and I know that his sickness is unto death. But Jesus said it's not. His sickness is not unto death. You and I know that it is unto death in that he is going to die. You and I know that. But we know that Jesus said it is not unto death, but it is to the glory of God. Why? Because Jesus is about to show them something they've not seen. Or they've not recognized. They've not got a hold of. Jesus is going to mention something to them in doing what He does with Lazarus that He did not mention other times when he healed and raised people from the dead. He, he didn't mention what he mentioned with Lazarus. But anyway, we find out when we come to John chapter number 11 and verse number 12, we find that Lazarus is dead. And then in verse number 25, if you will, look at verse number 25. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I, what? Am the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection. He said, now I'm not only the resurrection, but I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Do you see what Jesus is leading up to? He's trying to get this crowd to understand who he is. 
He's trying to reveal Himself for who He is. That He is the Christ. That He is that Good Shepherd that Micah prophesied about. That He is the resurrection. That He is the life. And He's revealing all these things to them. He resurrects Lazarus in verse number 43 and 44. But not before He prays for those that are standing by. Look at verse number 41 and verse number 42. Look at what Jesus does. Verse number 41 and 42, the Bible said, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I know thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. He prays on the behalf of others that they would come to know who Jesus is. That they would recognize that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then we come to chapter number 12, which leads us to the day that is celebrated on today, Palm Sunday. We understand in chapter number 12, Verse number 12 through 19, we understand the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want, it, I want you to look at something in verse number 23. Look at something in verse number 23 that Jesus said. And Jesus answered them and said, what? The hour is come. Do you understand this morning what Jesus was doing from chapter number 9 till He got to chapter number 12. He said the hour has come. But even though He said the hour has come, He spends chapter number 13, chapter number 14, chapter number 15, and chapter number 16. And we looked at this in the beginning of this series of messages that He was dealing with them, trying to get them to understand the hour has come. Is that not what he does in chapter 13 through chapter number 16? He tries to convince and tell and teach his disciples that the hour has come. They don't recognize because they do not understand the significance of that hour. Now let's turn back to John chapter number 17. And with that thought in mind, the hour has come. So much more, so much more that could be said this morning about the hour that has come. But I want to give you three thoughts about this hour. Three thoughts about the hour that Jesus is talking about. Number one, I want us to understand the hour is obviously predetermined as that hour. It is obviously predetermined that it will be that hour. You and I need to understand some things this morning. Understand that God does not, God Himself does not dwell in time. Howbeit, God does operate in time. God does, God is eternal. 
Time has no significance to God. But with that understanding, understand that God brought the time process into being. God is the one that placed time into being. And as He placed time into being, He has done things at appointed times and certain things in certain places at certain times. That's the reason Jesus prays and says the hour is come. It is not that God is bound by time, but it is that God has ordered that things should happen in the realm of time. God is not bound by time, but God so ordained that these things happen in the realm of time. Consider the flood. Think back when Noah and the flood was in, in, in the book of Genesis chapter number 6. How long before the rain came did Noah start the ark? 120 years. God knew when the rain was coming before the rain ever came. God knew when all of that was going to happen and He prepared a man to prepare an ark in preparation for the rain that was coming. So understand that God is not bound by time, but God does order and orchestrate things that they are done at a specific time. That is the reason it is important that you and I understand and that we know that the hour that Jesus is talking about is obviously a predetermined hour. The flood was no different. There was a predetermined hour when the rain was going to come and God prepared a man to prepare an ark for his family so that they could go through the flood. The same way Jesus is telling them, and everything that we've looked at this morning, Jesus is trying to get them to understand, this is who I am. I have come here for a purpose. I've come here for a reason. And that hour has come. When Jesus, Before Christ ever left heaven, before He ever laid His glory down, if you'll recall in what we've already preached, that there was a council called together. That council was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that made the plan of salvation for man who had not yet sinned. And God made a plan. The council made the plan. So when Christ left heaven, when Christ laid His glory down, and left heaven and took on the robe of flesh and became man, became God incarnate in the flesh. When He did that, He did that understanding that the purpose of His coming was for this hour. And He's praying, Father, the hour has come. The hour's come. I can't help but to get excited because I understand everything that's taking place. I can't help but to get excited. Am I excited about what Christ went through? No. But I am excited about what He did and what He accomplished and what He brought forth for me as a child of God. What He purchased for me because that hour came. 
consider, if you will, we find that at a given point, God does redeem the world. Remember, He said He was going to redeem the world. And there's a certain point when God will redeem the world and God's time arrives and God comes and the whole world will be back under the reign of Almighty God. Understand that this hour is not only obviously a predetermined hour. Understand how crucial and how critical this hour is in history. Understand as we consider this hour and the hour spoken of here by the Lord Jesus Christ is the crucifixion of Christ. Before you and I need a new life, we need something else. Before you and I ever need a new life, we need something else to be done for us. And that is we need something to be done about our sin. That was taken care of at the cross. That was taken care of in the hour that Jesus Christ is referring to. The hour that He's talking about. He said the hour has come. What hour is that? The hour when Jesus Christ, God incarnating the flesh, would take care of man's sin. Once and for all. It'd be done. That's the reason Christ could cry out. It is finished. It's done. It's over with. The hour's been completed. This time in history, this appointed time has happened. It's come. I've bled. I've died. It's finished. And you and I recognize the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ being part of that. But one of the things, one of the other things that I want us to consider about this hour is not only that Jesus knew and understood about this hour, but there's somebody else that knew that this hour was coming. They weren't able to say the hour has come, but they knew it was coming. And that's Satan and all his ends. He knew there was going to be a day because it had been prophesied by God that he would crush the head of the serpent. That is the reason that the devil tried his best to tempt Jesus when he came out of the wilderness because he wanted to stop this hour. He felt the tensity of what was about to happen, what was about to take place. He saw what was happening in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted Christ to fall. He wanted Christ to give in to Him because he knew that that hour was going to come when His head was going to be crushed. He said he wanted to raise himself up to be a God, but he realized, Brother Ricky, he didn't raise himself up to be a God. He realized God had a plan. So there is, and you've got to understand, and I've got to understand, we've always sat back, or at least I've always sat back, and I've wondered how in the world could all those Jews that had all that Scripture that had all of those truths, how in the world could they have cried out, crucify Him, crucify Him? How, Brother Ricky, could they have cried out, let the sins of this be upon us and upon our children? How could they have done that? 
They did that because that hour had to come. That hour had to be. It was crucial in history. It was important in history. That hour had to be. Christ is not the only one preparing for that hour. The forces of all the other side is interested in the same hour. And you and I watch the plan as it develops in Scripture. That is why it is said in Luke chapter number 22 and verse number 53, when He's talking to the Pharisees, He tells the Pharisees, you remember when that's happening in Luke chapter number 22? And He's talking to the Pharisees and He tells the Pharisees this, Your hour is come. What hour is that? The hour when you will crucify the Son of God. The hour when you will make ready the preparation of the cross and I'll be crucified for all of mankind. God had a plan. You and I cannot read of the Lord's experiences or see the tremendous fight that we see in Scripture about everything that's going on and not understand the importance of this hour in history. I am convinced one of the reasons that people, one of the reasons that believers have such a problem in their Christian walk, have such a problem in their Christian life, is they do not consider this hour like they need to consider this hour. We don't call our attention to this hour like we need to call our attention to this hour. That being said, number three, I want to think about this thought. What an hour this is. What an hour this is. Do we not begin to see that this is all, all hands down, this is the most momentous moment in all of history. Before and after, this is the most momentous moment in history. Why? Because a thrice holy God is about to give His life on the cross of Calvary for the reconciliation of God and man. What a God. What a God. What an hour this is that you and I get to see the Lord Jesus Christ Pray to the Father and say, the hour is come. This moment, it had to be now. It had to be this time that it took place. The hour is come. It is the most momentous hour of all times. We talk about pivotal points in history, but they all, they all have nothing in comparison to this hour. This hour that's taking place. What an hour. That the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see and to know and to understand the things that led to this hour. The things that brought about this hour. And the things that were produced because of this hour. We are talking about a historical event. 
This hour belongs to time. This hour belongs to history. No one, no one can deny this hour took place. No one dares deny this hour took place. No one even says that this hour didn't happen when Jesus didn't die. They may say He didn't raise, but they don't say He didn't die. This hour's here. This hour's come. This is not an idea. It's not some wonderful theory that has been woven out in the imaginations of man. But it is a particular hour in the the sphere of time that God planned that this was to take place. What an hour! What an hour. These things have literally happened. So I am left with the fact that the Son of God has been in this world and has passed through this hour. And He passed through this hour, Brother Ricky, for one reason. He passed through for my sins. What an hour. What an hour. That God would face what He faced and He faced it for my sins. He faced it for what I did. He faced it to die for my benefit. If I believe that I know the hour is one of which has saved me from everlasting destruction, if I do not believe, I still live condemned in my sins. May God grant us to see sin for what it really is. We cannot be indifferent about things. For if we believe them, our way of life will be determined by what we believe about this hour. If I believe all this, how can I be indifferent about sin? The one who has done this for me deserves my life, my soul, my all. We sang that this morning, did we not? He must be Lord and Master. Why? Because of this hour. Because of this hour. I say again, the failure in the Christian life is a failure to really see the meaning of this hour. How important this moment in time was. The hour that had come, and don't miss this, this is the hour that had come and now is. The hour that had come and now is because what Christ did on the cross spans throughout eternity. What a, what a blessing. What a privilege to understand that. May God help us to see and to show others the great and marvelous truth of this hour. The hour when Jesus Christ became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What a God. What a plan. Brother Charles, what an hour. 
What an hour that Jesus would pray to the Father and say, the hour is come. Let's pray.